Warning, this episode contains adult language and adult humor. Since when have trumpet players ever been considered adults? If you are easily offended by these types of conversations, consider switching to the oboe. Welcome to the Trumpet Gurus Hang Podcast. I'm your host, Jose Johnson. My guest for this episode is Dan Fernero. From studios to stadiums across the globe, Dan always brings the heat. Dan is a founding member of the Vine Street Horns and since 2003 has also been an integral part of the powerhouse trumpet section of the Big Fat Band. Dan has toured the world with Phil Collins, Neil Diamond, Tom Jones, and Brian Setzer and has carved out a name for himself as one of the top flight players in the L.A. recording scene. So, pour yourself a big glass, pull up a chair, and let the hang begin! Welcome to uh, this episode of the Chumper Gurus Hang, and uh, I'm joined today by Mr. Dan Fernero. Dan, what's going on, man? Hey, nice to see you, man. Thanks for having me. Ooh, it is my pleasure. You are are certainly a uh, a great guy to talk to. Um, you have quite the impressive resume, I must say, and uh, you know I. I've I've been fortunate enough. I think we met just briefly once, but I've been fortunate enough to, you know, have conversations and, and have friendships with with people that you run in the same circles with, and everybody that I talk to about you that that knows you, work with you, uh, has just had nothing but glowing things to say about you, not just as a player but as a person. So, uh, you know, I really th- appreciate you taking time to to talk with us today. So, uh, what with, with being in L.A. at this point? Um, and especially in this this COVID world that we're dealing with, uh, what kind of uh, changes have you been seeing going on in the industry? As a multiple part question, what kind of changes have you seen in the industry, uh, and how have you managed to keep your game, uh, you know, at that top level uh, despite all of the the confusion and the the craziness that's going on around us? Well, I mean, the industry is is taking a huge hit. Uh, as you, I'm sure you're all aware, I mean, um, uh, they've they've shut everything down entirely. And for 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 a minute there, there was, uh, you know, for several months, no studios are open. They're trying to figure out all of the, um, uh, you know, the protocol for for COVID and all of that. How do we put a bunch of people in this in in one room with you know bad ventilation and and keep them from killing each other or you know shutting this down forever, you know, or for for longer anyway, and um, uh, so a lot of uh, the well, the only work that existed for a while was people would call in and ask, you know, can you record at home? Are you set up for that? Which most people are today. I mean, if if, if there's one thing we've all learned uh, through COVID, it's how to how to manage uh, audio, you know. And um, uh, so uh, primarily, uh, the work I've done has been been from here for for several months, where I'm just in my room recording for, for different uh, writers and, and projects. Um, but as of recent, uh, the studios have begun to, begun to open up a little bit and protocols are in place where everybody's obviously, you know, socially distant. They don't, they want you to keep a mask on when you're not playing. Uh, sometimes they, you know, they, they, they put things on the floor for you to empty your spit valve in. Uh, they'll put you in plexi around you when, whenever possible. 
they'll set up a room, for example, for for a, for a date with with a, with an orchestra. They'll record the strings first, typically, uh, but they'll set the room up for an entire orchestra. Um, but keeping strings, you know, a, a lot of strings in, in a large room, socially distant, takes up all the space. So. Uh, uh, but if, if, if they don't set up the rest of the room for the brass and woodwinds and all of that at the same time uh, as they set up the strings, then as I, as I understand it, they have to reset the room, which means cleaning it and sterilizing it before they set up for brass. So they do it all at once, get the strings out of there. We're already got our stuff set in place. And then we come in separate from them and, 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 uh, and record that way. They have, you know, in this door only, out that door only, don't use this bathroom anymore. There's no more food at the table, you know, for breaks to have a little snack. And um, uh, it's just, you know, it's way different. And there's there's not as much work, um, uh, clearly, but it's starting to pick up. I actually had a pretty busy week this week, almost like, like old times kind of week uh, with different projects and some TV. And um, uh, uh, so it was good to get back. But it, but part of your question was, you know, how do how do I stay in shape to to you know uh, to be at peak level? And, and the, the I don't. I mean, I'm I practice a lot, and but there's nothing quite like um, uh, getting in there and and uh, having to approach the music from a recording point of view. It's just different than playing Clark studies at home. It's just different. You know, and and not having to blend with other musicians is different. So so trying to to tuck my sound into the into the blend properly, and approach the music properly, and be as accurate as possible uh, is different than running you know calisthenic exercises and and the things that I work on to 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 maintain any sort of you know endurance and and uh, and uh, you know strength you know yeah um, yeah I'm not okay. I'm not hired too often to play you know soft and gentle which is a good thing the kind <laughs> the kind of uh, trust me but the, the but the kind of um, the stuff that I'm typically hired for, it takes, I have to be prepared in a strength sort of endurance way. So the things that I practice to maintain that um, uh, uh, is a different approach to the instrument than it is when I'm recording. And so that skill set is lacking right now and, and getting back in there quite a bit this week was great. I was like, oh my God, I needed this. You know, it's, it's a confidence boost, you know, to say, okay, yeah. I'm back in this. I know how to do this. I remember this, you know. It's yeah. been a long time. I mean, since March, everything yeah. shut down pretty hardcore, you know. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I just had uh, the, I guess this is my, officially my second gig of the year. Uh, and uh, it was just really odd, just, you know, just playing. And, you know, you, you develop those those uh, gig chops or road chops or studio chops, however you want to call them, you know, when, when you're, when you're working consistently, you know, it's easy to get in, but, uh, you know, when, when you have all that time off, there's, there's the physical part of it, obviously, but there's also that mental side of it, of, uh, you know, the, sometimes the, the uncertainty creeps in. And I think trumpet players as a whole tend to have some of the most fragile egos in the world. Um, you know, because, uh, the, the demands of the instrument are, are so, insane and especially you know for someone like you playing playing uh the kind of stuff that you get called for mostly uh there's no room for uncertainty in what you're doing so uh, yeah, it exists <laughs> it's playing through that uncertainty that is really the the uh the deal you know what i mean because we all have it to some degree right. 
I yeah. have it. I think I have it considerably more than other guys. The, most of the guys I work with, I think they're just absolutely fearless, you know, and um, you know, you, you know, but the, I was also taught don't, you know, don't ju judge your insides by, by other people's outsides, you know, and right. I, so I talk to people about it and I go, you know, how are you feeling, man? I mean, man, that, that's, that's some scary stuff you did there. He goes, yeah. You know, the guy will say, yeah, I know, but I, I got through it anyway. You know, so we, we, we play through that uncertainty, but you're right. I mean, the, the more, the more I know that what I'm about to do and, and got my head wrapped around it right and I can hear the pitch in advance and I got my routine set up and it goes and the air's moving and bam and it's hitting that the, the more certainty of that you know the, the you know the better the golf shot's going to be I mean it's, it's basically what it is you know yeah so do you have a, a specific kind of uh, mental approach that you take towards playing I mean yeah every everybody's got a a, a warm-up you know, they've, they've got their warm-ups, they've got their, their their technical practice skills, but not a whole lot of people talk about the mental aspect of playing what you do to prep yourself for either a gig in general or just the, the general approach to the horn. Uh, but do you have something that, that you kind of can point to and say, yeah, this is this is the process that I use to, to keep myself in the game? Man, I, if, that, if, if there's any aspect of, of what, what I need to work on as a musician it's that you know it is my weak spot for sure you know i'm a bit of a head case frankly and um uh you know i'm, I'm able to play at a very high level through a lot of fear and uh it's very uncomfortable a lot of the time for me um frankly uh i wish it wasn't it, there was a time in my life when i was fearless when i was young and it was it's just uh i think as as more is demanded out of, out of that's not, that's not the right way to say that, but the more that I feel is expected of me, I feel the more pressure to come up with those goods and that gets in my own way. Mm -hmm. So, you know, if I'm on my way to work, I'm focusing my, my, um, my car is my sanctuary and, and in, in Los Angeles with traffic being, it is, it's typically, a, I'll have an hour to get to anywhere. So I take that time often and focus my thought on, um, on, uh, on right thinking, you know, in affirmative prayer, if you will. And 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 uh, kind of steering my uh, my thoughts into the right directions, and uh, you know, into the faith and out of the fear. Uh, when I get to work, I try to remember to breathe, try not to <laughs> try not to be the biggest voice in the room. You know, just try to stay focused and uh, and you um, uh, and do my best. I, it, keep my head down, do my best. That's you know, it's a uh, it's a wonderful experience to be. Uh, concerned, nervous, scared, all of those things about a musical passage that you know you can play and getting through it really, really well is one of the greatest feelings of, of exhilaration there is, you know. So I've been taught in a, in a, uh, that, you know, to, to bless the fear. Uh, it, it can be your friend. It's the thing that keeps you honed. It's the thing that keeps you focused. It's the thing that's going to not allow you to fail, you know. I feel like I play better when I'm completely relaxed and I'm not worried about anything. And, and certainly there's truth in that, but I can also become lackadaisical in that setting, you know, right. so times where you're just going, where's that edge, man? Give, give, I don't have that edge today. You know, that, that might be that little fear spark, you know, it's when I can let it uh, get in front of me and take over that trouble happens. But most of the time uh, it, can, it can be a nice, uh, you, you know, nice tool for focus. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that's one of those things that uh, it's finding that that kind of razor's edge of where you're using the fear or anxiety, whatever you want to call it, 
to uh, keep you sharp and keep you on your game because that's what it's for. I mean, that, that, that's part of our, uh, in, in terms of our, our, our evolution, that's part of what allowed us to, to survive is, is that, that fear reflex. But if it becomes detrimental to us, you know, it's, it's, uh, that's going to be our, our source of failure. So it's like, how do you stay in that sweet spot of you've got enough edge to move you forward, but not so much that it pulls you back or the lackadaisical side of, you know, Hey, I got this. And then you can become sloppy and then it all goes to hell anyway. So, um, that, yeah, yeah, it, it, like you say, yeah, man, it is the dance. And, uh, some of us just don't have enough rhythm to pull that one off. So, but, uh, so in, in the studio world, um, it's kind of, it's a really interesting, uh, environment, especially in LA, because, you know, to many people, I'm, I'm sure my friends in, in uh, New York and, and London and Nashville are going to, uh, disagree with me this, but the LA is kind of the Mecca for the recording industry for music and for, for television and, and movies and things like that. So, uh, if, if you could make it in LA, that's, that is something to be said. So, with that situation, though, it's it's kind of different than me, like being a, a trumpet player in a, in a small town where, you know, you kind of get pigeonholed like, oh, he's the lead player. He's the jazz player. He's, you know, he's the legit player. Um, you're called on to do so much in any given session or in a series of sessions in a day. And you're going to have to go from, you know, playing lead to playing second to playing third. Um, and that I know that requires a little bit of a mind shift uh, in terms of how you approach your parts. Um, how do you manage to do that, you know, to, to go from, you know, being the guy to being the support guy? Uh, is, is, that a, is that a mental process that you do have to go through? Is it something to, that you've had to work to develop a skill for? Or is this something that you've just always been kind of comfortable with? Um, it's a really good question, but the... Uh truth is I'm much more comfortable being a support guy. You know, I like playing uh, second trumpet, third trumpet. I like playing some first trumpet. Um, uh, uh, so, you know, uh, that's a skill set in itself that I really enjoy. I like, I like being able to fit into the goo of the blend. I think that's the real key of it all. Um, uh, the more I practice uh, playing the trumpet, uh, as properly as I can, as opposed to trying to just get out higher notes or, you know, be more of a beast. Uh, uh, it's, it's the more I practice on the right side of the horn, as I call it, the better all of my other playing goes. It's never the other way around, you know? So I don't sit and work on, on, on being uh, uh, a, a lead trumpet player or, you know, trying to get that, that act together so much as I really, you know, practice with using air attacks. When I practice, I don't practice real loud. I work on technical studies to maintain technique as well as build endurance, but I do them in a soft controlled way the best I can. Um, uh, I do uh, practice those exercises into the upper staff where I make uh, necessary shifts to, to, to pull them off. Uh, as I get more and more tired, I keep, keep practicing. So that kind of helps build the endurance. It kind of takes care of the beast side of things, but but the approach to the instrument is always from a more orchestral point of view, because that way, when I get in a setting of an orchestral environment, I'm not going to be, first of all, I won't be called for principal trumpet. There are guys who are really, really dazzling out here who, 
who uh, uh, you know you're 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 privileged to play with, who I'm privileged to play with, and so uh, when I sit with them, my job is to fit into their world the best I can, and I have to work on things like air attacks and how to, you know, stay in the center that's the the sound and and uh, and and understand what that blend is. Uh, that is uh, the key to staying employed here is playing well with others. You know, um, there was a time in L.A. You know, uh, when I was a, a kid and television was all the rage, and I'm talking you know, 60s and 70s, where the guys who were doing most of the work were the big band trumpet players. Right. And, uh, and that shifted um, uh, uh, and the town became more orchestrally or oriented. I'm speaking now about film and television. Mm -hmm. and, and so uh, as that happened, the, the uh, skill set for anybody who wants to freelance is you better be able to play on the pretty side of the trumpet, too. You know, uh, so um, I've kind of had to, you know, my background, you know, coming from drum corps and then into jazz, then into big band and then at North Texas and lead trumpet and Woody Herman lead trumpet and all this lead trumpet stuff I did. I've had to have had to go, OK, listen, man, you know, you, you got to get back to what what started you, you know, getting down to the to, to the, the, you know, to the, the basics of playing trumpet properly. Right. And as I do that, everything else seems to improve. Like I was saying earlier, it never goes the other way around. You know, it's like trying to be a hip hop hand, hip hop dancer, and, and you, you, you know, you all you practice is hip hop. Ballet is going to be impossible. But if you're a good ballet dancer, you might be able to pull off hip hop a lot better. You know, it's, yeah. it's to go that direction. You know, yeah. so um, that's kind of how how I, I need to approach things. You know, I need to maintain the skill set of what people mostly think of me you mentioned the word pigeonholed you know uh there's uh, there's i wouldn't wouldn't say it's pigeonholed here but there are people who go okay look if you want this kind of player you know who to call you know and hopefully when my name comes up they'll say hey you know he mostly does this well but he's he's capable in this arena too we can keep him in on, on right you know yeah, I mean, we, we all special. We all tend to have things that we gravitate towards, or that we we certainly you know have that are our strongest suits. Um, you know, it's, it's always trying to 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 keep the strong strong, and then build up the the areas that are that are lacking, and whether that's in music or or in life and any any other uh, endeavor, that's the key to being truly successful. I think uh, is to to shore up those blind spots, either whether they're uh, in yourself, uh, you know, by doing doing the work yourself, uh, or in some cases, it's surrounding yourself with the right team. You know, uh, you know, if you have a if you're a manager at a at a company and, and you you suck at marketing, well, you know, you either need to learn how to be a better marketer, or you need to find you f hire somebody who's really great at marketing to work with you. So, uh, you know, I think that that's been one of the things that uh, as I you know talk to more guys out there in LA that's been kind of that consistent theme of, um, you know, everybody working together to, to make the project work and, uh, you know, kind of putting the egos in check, check and just making sure that the right guys in the right parts uh, and, and making sure that everything is working together. Uh, actually, Wayne, uh, you know, our, our mutual friend, Wayne Bergeron, um, Wayne was mentioning how he loved playing with you because you two lock up so well and he's like you know hey if i've got a you know i've got a line and it goes up to a high f and dance it next to me i know that we're going to hit that and we're going to be in tune and we're going to be in sync with each other and um 
you know that there goes there's a lot that goes into that and i some i think sometimes people miss the point that it it is about learning how to work as a unit as a cohesive unit and uh that i mean that's kind of high praise coming from from anybody but you know particularly uh like wayne uh who you know just says yeah this is the guy you know i love i love sitting next to this guy because you know we're going to bring up the best in each other well that's really nice to hear um but i feel exactly the same way you know uh i think that the skill set that keeps you working in town like i said earlier is, is to be able to play well with others i mean wayne bergeron not only used that for the title of one of his albums but uh in fact is, is a really great second trumpet player you know what i mean uh occasionally he'll he'll throw me some lead trumpet in the fat band or on a date we're on or whatever. And now he's, a, he's no longer lead trumpet. You know, he doesn't play like a lead trumpet player when he's not playing lead trumpet, you know, he knows how to respect what the other guy's doing, how to fit his way into that with him. And I, it's a, it's a very little uh, needs to be said about how we're going to approach something musically. There's a little bit of a, we're sort of on the same page that way. Um, uh, I try to get out of his way when he's playing lead and, uh, and, and, you know what it was explained to me it was meant mentioned when i was a, in, in north texas and it was the six o'clock band and uh, i was the new lead trumpet player there were nine bands i was in the sixth one and i i was moving up man and it was it was a good day you know and the first day we got in there the the uh the, the lab band uh, director at that time was a guy named steve spencer rest his soul who was the jazz uh, tenor player in one o'clock at the time and he, uh, he said, this is uh, Dan Fernero. He's your new lead trumpet player. He said, your job is to all make him sound good. And I like that. And that's the truth. If you're not playing first trumpet, your job is to make that guy sound good. If you're not playing lead alto, your job is to make sure that guy sounds good. Because if lead alto, lead trombone, first trumpet sound good in a big, in a big band, you know, your band's going to rock. You know what I mean? And so it's, it's really, a, you have to take a, a submissive sort of support role which is very, very satisfying musically. You know, it's not always about being the hero. It's about being part of that team you mentioned and, and, and bringing the best out of the music. I mean, ultimately that's, that's all it's ever about. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's what it, that's what it's supposed to be all about at least, uh, you know, that and the Lamborghinis that you guys are all driving around out there. Which one? <laughs> what day is this? What, uh, this is the red Lamborghini day, I think, isn't it? I'm a Mini Cooper driver myself. Oh, uh, all right, all right, that that works. Um, you know, you're you're talking about um, North Texas and uh, your also your days in core. Um, I want to actually go go back to your your days in core, and um, you know, it, it seemed to me, yeah, I, I I never marched core. I had a lot of friends who did. I, I thought about it, but I just didn't have the cash to do it. So. Um, you know, it's like, you know, I can either you know work this summer and make money or go play and not make money. So I, I chose to, to work. Um, but with core, uh, a lot of the guys that I know that that have, that have come out of it and, and that, are, that are still playing, uh, they're playing at a professional level. A lot of them uh, do express how the esprit de corps uh, really has been beneficial to them in terms of their musicality. Uh, you know, being part of a of a bigger team, being part of an ensemble, and, and understanding your role in that. Um, who did you march with, and and how how did uh, your days in the core influence you as a as a player and and as a person? 
Well, I marched in uh, in, in two drum corps. Uh, the first one was a feeder corps for the for the for the bigger corps. Um, excuse me. Um, there's um in Racine, Wisconsin. I'm from Kenosha, Wisconsin, and ten miles north of Kenosha is a city called Racine, which uh, at that time was they labeled themselves the drum corps capital of the world. You know, ah, yes. And uh, there was a, there was a lot of drum corps going on in Wisconsin in the early '70s, mm -hmm. and um, in the '70s and and um, '60s, and um, uh, the Kilties were uh, a very highly competitive uh, junior drum beagle corps. Uh, competed really well with Santa Clara Vanguard, the Blue Devils, and all of that back in the in the early '70s. The Troopers, Chicago Cavaliers, and and the Madison Scouts, and all of that stuff. Uh, uh, we were a, uh, that that core was, you know, no joke, man. They were they were always right in there, if not winning. And um, uh, they had a feeder core called the Kilty Cadets. And they were for kids from 10 to 14 years old. And then once you're 14, you could join the Kilties, which was a group from 14 to 21 years old. And so um, uh, before I was born, my father uh, formed a drum and beagle corps in Kenosha, Wisconsin for guys over 21 called the Kenosha Kingsmen. And um, he was a founding member of that, him and his buddy, John Vagnoni. Uh, they were uh, pals from childhood and they both got drafted into Korea and made a pact that if they made it out alive, they would form a drum and beagle corps, which they did. And so my first memories growing up were watching them rehearse, listening to them rehearse, marching with them when somebody couldn't make it. And by the time I was 10 years old, I wanted to play a bugle so bad I couldn't stand it. And uh, I wanted to be just like those guys. And so um, uh, I joined the Kilty Cadets and I marched with them for four years. And uh, about a year and a half into that, I started playing trumpet. I played bugle before I played trumpet. I was going to a Catholic school and uh, they didn't have a band program. So I left the Catholic school and went into the uh, public school system to learn trumpet. And uh, that story uh, is uh, told in four verses on uh, the first track of my album. Yeah, uh, yes, not so old school, the song's called uh, Gonna Be Fine. And basically everything I'm telling you here is in that song. Which is a great song, by the way, if you haven't heard, and it's a great, it's a great CD, album, whatever you want to call it these days, whatever the kids are calling it these days, it's great. But that track especially, I mean, that, that to me, it spoke to me in so many different ways, so. Yeah, I can thank uh, Wally Minko and Gary Grant for a lot of help putting that together. Um, but uh, uh, when I was 15, I was able to join the Kilties, and I marched with them for one year. And um, we went to the DCI, uh, which was in its third year of existence. And it was a big trip for us from Wisconsin to uh, uh, Ithaca, New York for Cornell University. And um, I think we placed fourth in prelims out of, you know, 60 drum corps or something at that time. And we were poised, man. We were ready to, we were only a few points back and we thought we could win it all. And we ended up going overtime in the finals and ended up taking sixth. And it was... Uh, awful. And I'd spent, you know, at 15 years old, I spent a third of my life in drum corps and the other two thirds around it, you know, with, you know, the business meetings going on in the basement with my dad's core and all the rehearsing. And, you know, it was my entire life and we had a shot at it and we, and we, we didn't make it, man. And uh, it was pretty devastating. At the same time that that happened, uh, I was uh, marching in the marching band in, in high school and uh, 
uh, a very dear friend of mine who I went to high school with is John Fumo, great trumpet player here in Los Angeles. Uh, he was a couple years older than me while still in high school and he recommended, uh, I, I asked him, how do I get more jazz into my playing? I'm, I feel like I play real square. How do I get, you know? And he said, uh, uh, he goes to Jamie Abersall clinics. And so I said, well, that's what I'm gonna do then because that's what you do. Because he was on such a, you know, I put him on such a pedestal. He was such a great trumpet player so early. And um, uh, so that I knew would conflict with the following year's DCI in August. And so I quit drum corps. And it was uh, uh, after five years, I was done and uh, started learning about theory and other things, you know, instead of marching. Uh, it, how did it help me was that uh, playing outdoors and learning how to project your sound uh, is, uh, I think, no doubt, one of the greatest gifts of marching all those years uh, to, to anybody, especially a lead trumpet player. You're going to learn how to project your sound properly, play outside for, for most of the time, and you'll learn that, you know. So drum corps was real good for me that way. Uh, learning to play with others, of course, and, uh, and all of that. But uh, I'd say that the, the projection of sound is, is, is pretty key. Yeah. Do you, uh, do you still follow uh, drum corps? Not at all. No, I have never seen a drum corps show since I marched my last one in 1974. I have seen a little bit on, on YouTube. Uh, there's, uh, I've watched, uh, I think it's the Blue Devils do their warm up to mm -hmm. my uh, jaw just dropping. And my God, it's uh, that's absolutely spectacular what they're doing today. You know, today kids audition for drum corps, and it's a big deal to get chosen. When we were marching, you'd take any warm body, you yeah. know, and it wasn't expensive at all to do this. It wasn't a big deal at all. It was it was uh, it was just about becoming this this uh, this core of of brothers and and. And we put a lot of pride into being really good at marching and really good at music. And wait till you hear this, and we're gonna we're coming. You better feel it. You know, it was it was really a it was a really great bond that way. But it wasn't a, it wasn't like today where you know it's like auditioning to get into anything else. It's, it's very very competitive today just to get in. And that level of you know perfection and pristine that they have today is is dazzling. They marched sideways, they marched backwards. We never did that. We carried everything on the field and off the field when there was nothing on the sideline. There were no microphones or synths or, you know, you know, it was, uh, the reason we went overtime in 74 was because at the concert formation in the middle of, the, of, our, of our show, the timpani player had, had difficulty reattaching the tim to himself to march off. And, uh, and he, he got stuck and we were like, come on, man, let's go, let's go. He's like, you know? and we went overtime and, uh, it sort of sabotaged our show, but uh, yeah, it's it's pretty impressive what they're doing today. The little bit I've seen of it, but I, I haven't followed it much at all. Yeah, I, I feel like a you know I'm, I'm becoming the grumpy old man, you know, and it's like ah, that's not drum corps <laughs> with all the staging and and you know sets and props. It's just it's it's a it's we had a piston and we had a rotor, and that was it. You had one and two, you know. And the bugles were in G or in A or something, I don't remember. And and you couldn't play in certain keys. You know, if you needed a third valve, that note wasn't gonna happen. They'd have to revoice it. And uh, you know, it was uh it was really a neat, neat thing, man. I remember wanting to learn trumpet just to figure out what that third valve was for. 
Well, I tell you, I've got a three valve trumpet and there's still keys I can't play in. So, yeah. <laughs> Likewise. Uh, so uh, let's fast forward a little bit. Uh, you're, you're at North Texas State, um, played with uh, the six o'clock band and worked your way up to the one o'clock band. Who are some of the, the other cats that were that were down there with you? Because that was like, that, that was the the breeding ground of so many great players, not just trumpet players, but just so many great musicians uh, came through that program uh, around that time. So who are some of the cats that, that you kind of uh, grew up with there? Well, I mean, the first week of college, uh, I, I went right out of high school there. So I was 18 and so did a guy named Greg Bissonette. And, uh, you yeah. know, and uh, <laughs> so the first week of school, somehow we met and, um, uh, you know, uh, I became fast friends with Conrad Herwig and Jim Snydero, you know, and, uh, you know, those guys went on to do some, some, some pretty great stuff. And I'm going to leave other people out that I, I'll, I'll be remiss to remember. But I mean, you know, Tim Reese was in school, then Chipping Neal, just magnificent musicians, man. Uh, you know, Paul Mazio and Rodney Booth and, you know, uh, Tom DeLibro was in school at the time I was there. He was the the incumbent in the one o'clock when I when I finally got to the one o'clock he was the guy who, who left so I could get in he took a gig in Vegas uh it just it was insanely insanely gifted people down there man uh, Mike Smith uh, I don't want to I don't want to leave people out so I won't try to name everybody but, yeah, but yeah. Okay. Were there were 145 trumpet majors in North Texas when I went to school in 1977 as a freshman 145 there were nine jazz bands. There were five trumpets in each band. When you auditioned, you auditioned for lead trumpet, jazz chair, or section chair, right? So when I got down there as a freshman, I was I thought I was pretty darn good by the time I got out of high school, good enough to get into North Texas. And and uh, so I did the math. You know, you're not going to play lead trumpet. There's only nine chairs available. The first three bands, that's those are out of reach for sure. I'm those guys are really, really great, you know, and uh, the same thing for jazz chair. I didn't have enough jazz ability to consider myself to audition for that. So I, so I auditioned for section trumpet and, and did the math, you know, on how many chairs were available. And I played what I thought was a really great audition. And I was very, very confident and very cocky. And uh, I made fourth trumpet on the eighth band out of nine. And I was three chairs away from no band at all. And it was, it was a good day. I was really, really lucky, you know. The competition level was very, very high, man. Really, really great musicians down there on all instruments. And guys were working to get better and the the motivation to get better was, you know, it's it's just a really great, you know, vibe, you know, of pushing each other forward, you know. Listen to albums with guys constantly. You know, hey man, let's go check out this side, man. I'm coming over. You know, got to hear this, man. You know, Liebman and Grossman, man, at the lighthouse. Whoa, you know. I mean, it was just here. Check out Coltrane live at the Village Vanguard. You've never heard this. You're gonna die. You know. Yeah. We wore stuff out, man, and and uh, it was a really good environment to push each other. You know. Now yeah. that's yeah that that's awesome yeah I, you know. The environment has so much to do with with our development, and uh, I mean, granted, certainly you can do it in a vacuum, but it's a lot easier to do when you're surrounded by other people that are, you know, that are passionate about the same things that you are, and and you're working towards the same goals. So, um, what are some of the the big lessons that you got out out of your time there? Uh, you know, both in terms of of being a player and and just uh, you know even your approach to 
to being not just a trumpet player, but being a musician, what it means to be a working musician? I don't really know. <clears throat> Honestly, the years I spent in North Texas, um, uh, you're not supposed to have a whole lot of regrets in life, but one of my regrets in life is that I didn't take uh, the school more seriously. I was very, very uh, focused and I had tunnel vision on one thing. And that was, I'm gonna get in the one o'clock one day. And if I get in the one o'clock someday, Stan Kenton's gonna call and I'm gonna be able to go on his band. And that's as high as I could think, you know, that's my goal, you know? And uh, I don't care if I'm playing fourth trumpet in the one o'clock, I gotta get in that band so that I can use that as a barometer for, for you know, moving to New York or moving to Los Angeles. You know, if I can make it here, I can make it anywhere, that whole thing, you know, that kind of, you know, North Texas is great for that. Right. But the truth is, is at the time, you know, I, I ignored all of the other opportunities of the school and I ignored them on purpose. And uh, it's a regret of mine. You know, the, the school had a magnificent symphony orchestra, wind ensemble, you know, concert band, you know, small ensembles, you know, all this stuff that I, I absolutely avoided. All I wanted to do was play lead trumpet in the one o'clock band someday. Ultimately, that's what I was, you know, really shooting for. And it was happening, you know. Everything that I tried to do, I was on on an upward track. And, uh, you know, in the late 70s, you know, I was a, a young man who partied a lot. And I mean a lot. And, uh, and I took pride in that. And as I was, you know, really um, uh, doing all the things I would tell kids not to do today, everything was going great. And I was, you know, riding the gravy train all the way to the top. And so my advice to anybody at that time would have simply been, hey, man, just put your head down, get your focus on and go for it. You know, what I, what I ignored were the things that would have offered me a better skill set for what I need to work today in Los Angeles. If I had more orchestral skills, you know, when I was in high school, we had a, we had a, I don't know, 60, 80 piece symphony orchestra and met five days a week. And I played in it five days a week right after I played in wind ensemble five days a week. And all of that gave me a really good foundation on how to play properly. And I love that. When I got to North Texas, I said, ah, I'm done with that. You know, I'm just gonna party, man. And I'm gonna play lead trumpet and jazz. And this is great. And, you know, get the girls and everything's gonna go, you know, and that's what happened, you know? But in fact, I really denied myself a whole lot of education that would have been very, very helpful today. You know, when I go on an orchestral date today, the other guys are playing C trumpets. I'm playing a B flat trumpet. You don't want to hear me try to sight read on a C trumpet. You know, those guys are. They're transposing on sight. All that stuff you hear them doing orchestrally, those are written in B flat parts, and they're playing C trumpets and transposing, and they're sight reading it perfectly the first time because the red light's on for every rehearsal take you do. Those mm -hmm. guys are amazing. You know, that's a skill set that I walked away from. I played C trumpet all the time in high school. You know, so I really uh, do regret that. If there's anything I learned from my experience at North Texas is that I, I didn't didn't quite take care of business like I could have. I didn't take advantage of the opportunities that were there for me. Yeah. I became a part-time student. I played in the in the lab bands. I did trumpet lessons because they were required, and uh, uh, I took jazz improvisation and then either racquetball or badminton, whatever they had uh, available, and that's all I did. For my last three years of school, I was a part-time student. And I would avoid the dean. He'd come around, he'd go, hey, you're gonna pick up those, uh, you know, your ABCs and your, your, your English classes and 
And I, yeah, next semester, I'm just short on cash, Dean, you know, or I see him coming down the hall, I go the other way. And I just, I dodged it all, you know. Yeah. And uh, it, was, it was a bad idea. It was a bad idea. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I mean, I, I played I played first trumpet in the one o'clock band for my last two years of college. So you, you couldn't tell me I was doing anything wrong, you know. I had the uh, good fortune of uh, studying with uh, Don Jacoby, who was not part of North Texas, but was teaching in North Dallas. And he became a mentor to me and uh, uh, really uh, 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 quite helpful in my development. Uh, so I just, I just, I, I really thought I had it all together and I didn't need all of that. And that was, that was definitely a, a bad idea. Yeah. yeah you know, all the, uh, the wisdom that we, that we get as we get a little older, you know, the hindsight, you know, that that's there. I think that that's probably the one thing that, that I would hope that, that people get. And it's part of actually what I, why I do these podcasts is because, you know, there's so much information there's so much knowledge that's out there from you know guys like you who are performing at this super high level that so many people are aspiring to and you know you have so many lessons to share and it's not as important to know how do you play a double high c in tune it's you know all these sort of things of you know what you're talking about you know, taking advantage of of the opportunities that you have in front of you and uh, you know, developing the good kind of work ethics and, you know, keeping your head straight. And, you know, this, this is the kind of stuff I think that more, if more players grasp that, that uh, they would do so much better in the long haul. You know, the short term, maybe, maybe not, but, but definitely in terms of longevity and, and marketability, this is the stuff that, that's really going to make the difference. Well, the younger guys in, in, who are coming on the scene in Los Angeles today, I mean, extraordinary trumpet players man, and guys who, who weren't knuckleheads when they were 18 you know and they they did put their heads down and they and they do have the degrees you know and they come in here armed with a skill set that is undeniable and they can back it up with a master's degree or a doctorate so that you know when the music scene changes and in, in such a way where there's not a you know opportunity to to be a player they can you know compete very highly for any university job in, 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 you know, live a really great quality of life in music. You know, very, very smart choices that I didn't make, you know, see it all the time here. It's pretty impressive. Yeah. Well, no. the difference though, I asked about how come you guys got your doctorates, man? What's the deal? We didn't, we didn't want a bachelor's degree when I was in college. We just wanted to play, man, you know? And, uh, <laughs> you know, and they said, well, because there is no Stan Kenton, Woody Herman, Buddy Rich, you know, Count Basie, all this stuff. That it, there is no place to go where we can just drop out of school and we're in the, you know, we're in a, in a thing. You know, it, the, the greatest opportunity to play in all of these different kinds of ensembles exists in college. And so we stay longer and we get it right. And, you know, all the way to the bank in the end, man, because, uh, you know, if I get asked to teach it at the university, I'm an adjunct, you know, with no health care offered and a very low wage and all of that stuff. You know, thrilled right. to be there and happy to teach. But at the same time, if you can walk in with, you know, 
with some credentials, you know, you can really, really take care of your family very well, things like that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It, it makes, makes perfect sense. Yeah. I mean, as you know, I'm about your age. Um, 45. So, was that? 45. Uh, 13. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I certainly remember, uh, you know, when I was in high school, I, I graduated in 79. Um, you know, I remember, uh, you know, Maynard's band, Woody's band, you know, Kenton's band, you know, the bands were, were touring, you know, the, and, and you were able to go out and you're able to one, listen to, uh, a big band, um, and you know that was a, that was an always an aspiration for people. You know, if you're a trumpet player, you, know, you want to be on Maynard's band or, or Stan's band or something like that. But uh, those opportunities, as as they disappear, there there are fewer and fewer playing opportunities for uh, horn players. And um, you know, I think that the the change that paradigm shift uh, has has created a necessity for approaching. The profession of being a, a player is being different, and now that we're seeing with things like uh, with what's going on with COVID, even uh, with with live music being pretty much decimated, you know, all, the number of, uh, of people that have uh, lost their jobs in New York, you know, with with Broadway shutting down, uh, you know, uh, Las Vegas, uh, you know, I, I know obviously in in LA as well, but uh, you know how you're going to get your how are you going to express your art uh i think having more venues more ways of doing that becomes more and more critical so like for you uh with you, you know you recorded your own your own release um and that was a way of you uh getting your music out you know the, not just you playing somebody else's charts but you, but you getting your music out um what what was that like for you i mean how how did you uh feel in that process and and uh, what were you hoping to, to create at that moment and, and did you feel like you did it um what i wanted to do was make a record that was made up of the kind of music that that i that i did that kind of man i wish people did more music like this those tunes you know and they were of a different variety i mean they're they're not i i like I like popular music, but I like different versions of it. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I wanted to, I wrote down some ideas that I had for grooves that I dig. And, and then I got some, a lot of help, frankly, from Wally Minko and from Gary Grant to turn those into something that, that, um, that was a finished product, you know, but they were the, the only two, two songs on the album. There are only two songs on the album that I really had, uh, completed in my head and, and and one is track three and the other one's track seven uh my only girl and uh, don't you know and those were songs that i just i just they just were very simple first of all they're not real complicated tunes but they they, they just sort of wrote themselves it was really easy i like to i like songs with lyrics as an instrumentalist uh i like songs that have lyrics uh a lot of guys who uh are instrumentalists you know they listen to songs and they don't hear the words ever and, you know, it's like, have you ever heard the words to this? Like, oh, there's words, yeah, you know, there's a singer on this track, you know, there, we, we listen with a different set of ears, but I, I, I come from a, from listening to, to pop music a lot. And uh, so I write lyrics and, and um, 
Uh, I wanted to make a record of, of the different kinds of stuff that I dig. I wanted every other song to have lyrics. I wanted the other every other song to be an instrumental, uh, kind of an influence from the Nancy Wilson Cannonball Adderley album, where it was instrumental and and back and forth to vocals. Um, uh, I wanted it to be uh, not an album that focuses on me so much as it was an album that focuses on cool music with horns, right? And so uh, I don't feel like I have, uh, I, I didn't want to make a record. I've never been drawn to make a record that says, hey, check out how good I am. You know, it's, I, don't, I don't think I'm that player. But I, I do feel like I want to make a record that said, hey, man, check out what horns are in, in these kinds of tunes and how cool that is, because that's what I really did. Yeah. And um, so in the case of something like Gonna Be Fine, which is we talked about earlier, you know, I had uh, the, the rhythm section groove all set up with it. And I brought it to Gary and I said, what I have? And he goes, well, what are we going to do with that? And I said, I don't know. What are we going to do with that? You know? And so I said, Wally, hey, write a, write a middle section for this that, you know, we'll put this thing at the front. We'll put, put, it, put it again at the back and then put something in the middle that takes it into a completely different room. So the listener just goes, hey, how did I get here? Oh, my God. You know, and, um, and Wally is really prolific writer I, one of the, one of the greatest ever and he and he did that masterfully and then we didn't know what to do with the rest of it and and uh gary said i hear this as a vocal tune and i'm like what are you talking about he goes yeah and you should sing it well a we don't have a melody b we don't have any words and c i don't sing you know and we put that together and, and it is it's a very cool track so much so that we use it as the opening track on the album yeah. and it all came together as as a, you know through a through a process of of, of a lot of people's input mm -hmm. and uh the whole album goes that way there's a, a track on my album if you're not aware of it uh, it's a tribute to jerry hay it's a fourth yeah. track it's called hey thanks and um uh, it's an original composition by wally and uh uh it's extraordinary really it's the one track where we went okay let's do one track for the trumpet guys yeah you know, we're gonna make a record that's about what you think is cool about horns and music? Let's put one together. The trumpet people are going to be jaw dropped, and and uh, and Wally is real good for writing hard trumpet music, and I think he came up with uh, something that's actually spectacular. I think it'll hold up through the ages. It's really, really very proud of, proud of that track. Yeah, when when that release came out, um, that was on loop on my. Uh my uh, car stereo for some time it was just uh i would just shake my head and play it again and just it, it was just absolutely nuts so yeah it's pretty crazy you know i don't think it's something if we were to ever try to do it live i think i'd need two horn sections for it to, to put up all the layering and get all that in there that that's you know embedded in the tune from the, yeah. the, the multi-tracking we did but uh it's um you know it honors jerry hopefully it honors him beautifully because uh he's been such an influence on on so many of us and his contribution to music is you know undeniable and uh you know to to put something together like that's a little little tricky and i think wally really really crafted it uh very very wisely and and uh i think uh i hope, I hope he feels good about that because it, it, it's definitely meant to honor his work yeah well yeah speaking of, of jerry and gary i have uh been privileged enough to uh, interview both of them uh, for this show and uh to me that was uh 
when I reached out to Jerry, that was one of the most uh, nerve-wracking times of my life because I've you know I've idolized this guy for quite some time, and uh, I kept saying to myself, uh, you know, he's not going to want to do this. He's you know why would he want to do this? And he's Jerry Hay. And when he said, yeah, sure, I'd be you know be honored to do it, and we talked, and he was just so cool. Um, and then, you know, Gary, I just interviewed Gary a few episodes ago and, and Gary was just everything everyone told me Gary would be. <laughs> he was just so funny and so entertaining. Um, but those guys, like, to me, that was that was an, literally an oh shit moment. I can't believe I'm talking to this guy um, as someone who's, you know, in L.A., who's doing all of these sessions. Uh, what have been those moments for you? Like, you know, oh my God, I can't believe I'm working with this person. It happens quite often uh, now, you know. I mean, uh, uh, the times I get to play, the times I got to play with Jerry before he stopped playing uh, were minimal, but there, there were, you know, some nice photo of John Lewis and Gary Grant and Jerry and I on, uh, on Hairspray uh, over at Old Todd A.O., uh, where, you know, I'm the guy with a shit eating grin on my face. I guarantee it, man. And, um, you know, Gary Grant has always been, um, uh, a, the, the ultimate hero to me. Uh, when I listened to all those records, I would play along with all those pop records and wait for the next one to come out. Couldn't wait for the next Al Jarreau record to come out and then learn it and play it. And next Earth, Wind and Fire record to come out. Can't wait to learn this one. And, you know, and, you know, I made it my business to find out how to meet Gary Grant before I moved to Los Angeles through a mutual friend of Dalton Smith and um, uh, rest his soul. And, and, uh, and Gary was the guy, A, he went to North Texas. Uh, I first heard him, first album I heard of his that I knew it was him was, was the Lab 68 album where he's playing first trumpet on that and just destroying it. I mean, my God, you know. And as a, who is that? And I got to meet that cat. That's, that's, that's the sound. That's the approach. That's, you know, and um, uh, when he hooked up with Jerry, you know, and they became what, what they, what they are and were, um, uh, you know, it was just an undeniable sound and an influence. And so I, you know, Gary would invite me to his house, say, come on, let's practice together. And I was new in town in my early twenties. I couldn't play with him. He'd, he'd play an exercise, I, I can't just, you know, my God, it's him, you know, and yeah. we're good. it's that guy, you know, and became very good friends with the family. And, and uh, you know, as, as we all got closer, you know, Lynetta, rest her soul, his wife, you know, gave me a manicure for my wedding back in 1983, you know, I mean, you know, we became really, really close and, and it, it blows my mind, you know, uh, you know, any, anytime that, uh, that, that I get to play with Gary, it's, it's, it's always like, wow, man, it's, it's you, you know? If, if he walks in a room, we're on a date and it's Wayne Bergeron are sitting there and Gary walks in a room, we'll play a fanfare as he walks in the room. You know, it's like a, a bit. And uh, he is the end, man. And uh, I love him dearly. And I, I, I get emotional talking about it a little bit, but he, uh, he influenced me a lot. And he was kind enough to come in on my project. And if, if you like my album, I do. Uh, you can thank him largely for that. It, it just uh, his work was uh, extraordinarily, and, and and hours, months of his life went into that. 
and uh, and, and he, you know, I owe him so much in so many different ways. If I go to work today, man, I'm sitting down and it's, you know, you know, John Lewis, you know, Dave Washburn, Barry Perkins, you know, Rob Sher, Wayne Bergeron sitting next to me and, and others as well. You just go like, I can't believe I get to play with these guys. You know, I get to go make money today, making music with these guys. How, you know, yeah. it, it, you know, go out with the Vine Street Horns and go play pop music all over the world, you know, with, with the biggest acts on the biggest stages and just go, man, I get to do this with these guys, play this music at this level and make a living, you know, how fortunate am I? You know, yeah. Never lost on me. You know, I really feel, uh, I really feel lucky to play with the people I play with. And we all learn from each other, you know? You know, you want to go to a, you want to be a small fish in a big pond, man, to get better. You know, learn from the people around you because they're just better. You know, I always feel like the people around me are, are my opportunity to learn something, you know? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's key. I mean, that, that really is. And, um, you know, it's, it's really interesting because like, as you talk about, uh, you know, uh, working with Gary and, and, you know, still having that, that level of awe and respect, um, it's sometimes it's hard for people to remember that, you know, the people that we do admire are still humans, you know, and, uh, except that, for Chuck Finley, except for Chuck Finley. <laughs> <laughs> That's a whole other thing. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, but you know it's it, it's so it, it's really funny, and you know I'll go back like to Wayne because uh, yeah he's he's been in many ways like the my my six degrees of separation for for so many different things, and part of the inspiration for this what planted the seed in my mind for this podcast was actually because of a couple of hangs that I did with Wayne and. Um, thinking like well I'm so lucky to be able to just you know spend a few days just you know hanging out and you know drinking coffee and you know having dinner with with him and Barb and things like that and uh said you know how many trumpet players wouldn't like you know cut off their left arm uh not the right uh to be able to to hang with somebody like this and it's like, well, you know, the, and I started thinking about, well, how is it that I'm able to connect with people like that? And I think the biggest thing has been for me, uh, it's just knowing that people are people and not being other than when it was Jerry, uh, you know, not being afraid to just say, you know, hey, dude, you know, how's it going? You know, would you do you want to go grab a, a, a beer or something like that and just talk about life as two people? Not like, you know, having these conversations uh, where it's I'm trying to get something from you or, you know, uh, you know, the, the hero worship thing, which sometimes gets really, really tedious and old. Uh, but just, you know, being able to connect with someone on that real human uh, level. And I think sometimes that we we get so lost in the, the accomplishments of people that we lose sight of that they're just a, another person and they just want to be talked to like another human. So, uh, you know, I, I, it sounds like to me that that especially with the guys that you work with, there's that that wonderful level of respect and uh, camaraderie that that comes with understanding each other's accomplishments, but also just being able to just be real guys uh, sitting in the room, just both. You know, everybody's just happy to be able to do something they love for a living. Well, that Gary mentioned it to me years ago. You know, he said, you know, we're you know, we're really all in competition here for the work. 
you know, all of us are, are trying to get the limited amount of work that's available, you know, but ultimately he said, we got to remember that we're a fellowship. We can't lose sight of that, you know, and he's right. Yeah. That's, I, th I think if, if more of us understand, regardless of whether it's music or, you know, we look in, at the, the craziness going on in the, the world of politics and things like that, if everybody just took the time to say, you know, hey, look, we're, we're really all in this together. So let's let's just just do our best to enjoy it and, and make it good for everybody. So, well, um, when you are working with especially like the Vine Street. Uh, the gave you the Vine Street. I, that has just got to be a major blast. I mean, not that that, that you know sitting in the in the uh, the studio isn't a blast, but but being on stage, there's certainly that energy of doing it, and to do it on that level when you're playing in the those size venues. Well, not anymore, but when you were doing that, um, I mean, that had to be absolutely electrifying. Absolutely. It's the, I, I'll, it's not my phrase, but it's the most fun you can have with your clothes on. You know, it's absolutely amazing, and uh, I feel very, very fortunate to have had these experiences. You know, it's not only you know the exhilaration of looking out there and 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 I mean and seeing an, oh it's Wednesday another fifty thousand people. I mean it, it becomes like that when you're on a long tour, and mm -hmm. it, it's it's just an amazing thing to just go man I can't believe we're doing this again you know but beyond that it's the music that we're playing uh is so satisfying for me as coming from a pop background and, and as my record is made up of that kind of music because that's what makes me happy I'm, I'm getting to play the music i love you know and get to do that on top of it and get to make a fine living at it you know with great musicians it's just it's really uh really really grateful for it you know we, we play stuff that uh, uh, is hard. It takes you to the end of your ability. Uh, but really, if you get it, it's going to be like dazzling kind of pop music, you know, the stuff we love. And we got, I got to do that a lot, like for 20 years, you know, just 30 years, just, you know. And, uh, uh, you know, how, how lucky am I to do that, really, you know? Um, the the we did a gig man this is a guy we worked with named johnny halliday is a french french legend and he passed away uh, the last few years but we we did a gig with him once where to to launch his next tour we had done the tour prior to launch his next tour he put a stage up behind the eiffel tower and closed off the eiffel tower and they they wired it all up with pyrotechnics and they made it a free concert so behind the Eiffel Tower, you could go back about close to a mile before there's a like a palace or something there. And they put 400,000 people outside really? to see this guy do one concert. And they wow. filmed it all in HD, you know. And, you know, you're looking out on stage and you're going, you you got to be kidding me. You've you got to be kidding me. You had a band feature in the middle. We had solos. If, if you want to look this up, his last name is H-A-L-L-Y-D-A-Y. Uh, look up the, uh, the, Eiffel tour, the Eiffel Tower concerts, uh, Tour de Eiffel, I think they called it. Uh, concert at the Stade de France where we sold out three nights at 83,000 people each night. You know, mm. the first gig we ever did with him. Quarter million people in three days, you know. 
And it's just, it, you, we, we, you know, we're out there just going, I can't believe this, but let's go kill it, man. Let's just go get this. And you, and it's fun. It, yeah. it, it's fun with a capital F, man. And, uh, you know, uh, Harry Kim uh, put together the Vine Street Horns uh, back in uh, 1990, 91, and it just grew fast. And <clears throat> I've been fortunate enough to be part of that and, and, uh, and have experiences that uh, very few people get to have, frankly. Yeah. And you know, I'm very grateful for it. Man. Well, I will put the link to that in the show notes. So uh, just scroll down to the bottom and, and you can go and check that out. And uh, also we'll, we'll have, uh, there'll be a link down there for uh, Dan's solo uh, release. Not so old school. Not the old school. So, uh, when when you talk about pop music, because I mean, for me, uh, you know, like most people of our age, you know, grew up playing primarily big band, uh, and then you know, cutting my teeth, uh, also just doing a lot of pop gigs, and, and basically that's that's what I do now is just you know, uh, you know, doing the brick house band, you know, circuit, and. Uh, there is a certain joy that comes to it, you know, mostly playing Jerry Hay horn charts. But, um, you know, there there is certainly uh, a different approach that you have to take to playing when you're playing those kind of charts. Uh, and especially when, when it's like a, a pounding gig, uh, there, there's a certain kind of energy that's inherent in uh, in pop music, pop horns. So, uh, you know, if you're going to say, hey, look, you know, someone is interested in, in, in becoming more meshed in that world, what are some of the tips that you would give people, like, you know, things you should listen to, people you should listen to, uh, concepts that you need to take away if, if you really want to make the best of playing pop music? Well, I think you hit it on the head. I think the key to it is listening to it, you know. You, 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 you know, you can't speak a foreign language until you've heard it, you know. And so... you listening to the you know, anything by Al Jarreau or, you know, Earth, Wind and & Fire and, and all of that stuff. Um, uh, not so old school, frankly. You know, if you want to hear some, some good pop music, horns, horns on pop music, you know, I recommend those highly and, and learn them. You know, when, when I was a kid, man, I, I, just, I just put on records and figured them out. You know, you didn't write it out. You didn't ask somebody for a, a PDF. <laughs> they didn't exist yet. But, you know, you, you, you learn by ear. And, you know, and, and find yourself in that rhythm section, you know, put on a Maynard record and, and learn how to play, you know, give it one or something. And now you're playing in Maynard's band in your living room, you know, or Earth, Wind and Fire, you know, you're, you're playing with Verdine White on bass now, you know what I mean? You're in, you find out what it feels like to get that groove on, you know, this is where drum corps really helped, you know, getting that projection of sound and, and putting stuff in front of you, you know, getting that sound out in front of you, like Jacoby used to always say, you know, you don't. You don't approach it from an orchestral place, you know. Um, you, uh, you you'll be better at it the better your orchestral skills are. But you you got to put on your pop music, you know, game, and and that means you know you're going to belt this stuff out. And it's going to be crisp, you know, and it's going to have intention, and it's and it's and, you know, um, it, it's very very satisfying music for me, man. I I really I come away from playing that kind of music just feeling exhilarated, you know. Yeah. Well, and you know, the, the other thing is, I mean, depending on, on who the act is and, and the, the level of uh, integration that the horns have with the act, a lot of times, you know, you're called on to be more of a visual aspect of the show as well, you know, which is, you know, completely different than, you know, when you're sitting in the session booth, uh, cranking out a chart, 
Uh, and when you're being on stage and when, when you have to be visual as well as, you know, playing and playing the parts, um, is that something that, that has been a, a part with, with uh, your playing in, in Vine Street and especially uh, with, with some of the, you know, and I sets or things like that where there, there, there are visual aspects of what you're doing. You're not necessarily doing choreography like you're playing with Beyonce, but uh, there is that level of, uh, you know, people are looking at you as well as listening to you. Well, if, if you haven't uh, already uh, had one of these interviews with Harry Kim, I recommend that you do for exactly the question you're talking about, because he's got very, very strong opinions and great advice on, on how to get that right, you know? And, uh, you know, it's one thing to, to record the music, it's another thing to perform it live. And visually speaking, it, it, it's critical. You know, if we just stood up there and did our thing, you'd hear it, but the audience is gonna get much more of a reaction if you're involved in the show. You know, uh, in 97 on the Phil Collins tour, we finally went uh, with uh, in-ear monitors. Uh, prior to then, you had to be locked down and anchored to a monitor on the floor with a microphone. Well, once we could go in-ear monitors and with wireless microphones, we could do anything we wanted. And fortunately, um, uh, uh, we, the vice Horns, we come from a, we, we kind of, kind of all came together over Latin jazz, you know. So when you're port, when you're performing Latin with jazz, Latin jazz groups as a horn section you, you get a you get a groove you know while you're playing and then it just sort of develops into, into more moves and 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 um so when when it came to pop music we incorporated a lot of that into it and then just take it a step further and and uh, and uh for the audience and is uh the artist getting you know what he's paying for out of us but it's way more fun you know, it's one thing to play the music, but it's another thing to, to, to get out there and do your thing. And so to a certain degree, it is choreographed, but we do it ourselves. We've never had anybody else tell us what we're supposed to be doing on stage. We've been fortunate. They go, hey, you guys, do your thing. They trust Harry enough to go, you know, they, he's going to, you know, and so, and, it, and it's instinctive. Hey, would you, and, it's, and, and not a lot has to be said sometimes about what we're going to do. You want to do that? Yeah, we know that one. Yeah, do that thing. And uh and it evolves over the course of, of every tour. Um, and it, it's a blast, you know? You gotta, you gotta get out there and not be afraid to be silly and not be afraid to, 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 to look silly. And in fact, if you do it all together, it ends up not looking silly. It, it, it kind of looks cool. We also right. get, right. We also get kind of like, like these little vignettes that happen, especially on Phil Collins' band, you know? The, the background singers and the horns are, we're all over the stage and you get these little things, these little side stories that happen during tunes that turn into stuff. And it, it just becomes, it, it's, it's pretty fun, man. Oh, that's cool. All right. Well, we're going to um, move into the final portion of, uh, of the interview today. And uh, uh, I used to call the speed studies, but um, this, this has now been renamed uh, the Rapid Fire Round. This is sponsored by my good friend Kenny Robinson with Robinson's Remedies. So this is the Robinson's Remedies Rapid Fire Round. So uh, I'm going to ask you a series of questions. They're going to, the topics are going to bounce all over the place. Uh, some of them are music related, some of them are not. So uh, if you could just give me your best answers, I would appreciate it. Are you ready? Let's do this thing. All right. Who's the biggest influence on your life that is not a trumpet player? That's a hard one. That's a tough one, man. I don't really know the answer to that. My first answer is always Gary Grant, you know. 
<laughs> and he's a trumpet player. Uh, my father, certainly, you know. All right, we'll take dad. All right, uh, what's your favorite book? Am I supposed to read books? <laughs> Arbenz. Uh, Clark? Oh, man. Yeah, Clark. Yeah, sure. I'll go with Clark. All right. Uh, what's the worst movie you've ever seen? Well, it only this only comes to mind because on Facebook somebody said, "One, what was the movie that you saw when you were too young to see it?" And there was this movie my folks took me to when I was a kid called Blood and Lace. And why they took a young kid to that movie, I'll never know. But it scared me to death, man. And it was a you know I came across it a few years ago. Just a horrible film. I. I'll say blood and lace. Blood and lace. Okay, that that sounds horrible. Um, if you weren't a trumpet player, what would you want to be? Guitar player. Rock and roll jeans. All right. Uh, what's your favorite drink? <laughs> what do you got? <laughs> what's for uh, you? As, a guy, <laughs> as a guy who doesn't drink anymore and hasn't for close to 25 years, uh, my favorite drink right now is seltzer water. Yeah, I'm getting on a big seltzer kick, man. That's uh, no calories, quench. Yeah, man. yeah, that's all good. Yeah, peach seltzer. That's one of my favorites. Um, I don't mind. It's it's all good to me. Uh, you could have a dinner party and invite any three people in the world. Any three people in the world, who would they be? Uh, David Gilmore of Pink Floyd. People, that's that'd be the top one for sure. That's the first one that comes to mind. Um, well, you know, I mean, you know, Jerry and Gary, and you know, you know if you're talking about heroes, you know, uh, that, that's what comes to mind. But uh, I'd love to sit down with, uh, love to sit down with uh, David Gilmore of Pink Floyd. That'd be the top guy. I'd love to have a conversation with. You know. Yeah. Um, you're going to have a, an additional three people. They can be any three people from history. I don't know. I, I want to think about this one, you know. It's, it's really tough to answer. Um, uh, I really don't know, man. It's just, that's really hard to say. Okay. Well, we'll, we'll give you a pass. You can, you can call on the lifeline. You can call Gary if you want. Um, call a friend. Lacquer plated or raw? I play on a, a silver plated trumpet now, so I'll say silver plated. I played on my trumpet. I had a New York Bach that I stripped down to raw, and I played on that through most of college uh, and uh, almost killed the horn, just completely rotted it out, kind of ruined it. So I'll say, uh, I'll say plated. All right. What's your favorite quote? Uh, when I was younger, I used to live by a quote that was um, by Leo Biscaglia, and it was, uh, it's not the goal that is life, but the trip. And uh, I lived that to my detriment. And then I woke up one day, you know. Uh, too much tripping. Yeah, a little bit. All right. Um, what is your greatest fear? Uh, getting found out. All right, you could uh, you you're going to be granted one superpower. What would it be? Fearlessness. All right. What aspect of trumpet playing do you feel is the most overrated? 
inotes. What aspect do you think is the most underrated? Good sound. Hmm. You're able to go back in time and give yourself one piece of advice about music. What would it be? Play as many varieties as, as you can. Take advantage of all the opportunities you're given, especially while you're young. Okay. And you're going to give yourself one piece of advice about life. Trust and know that all is well in spite of appearances. That's good advice. What do you want your legacy to be? Uh, he did it in spite of how he felt. <laughs> well, that is a great legacy to leave. I mean, I, I think that if more people did that, you know, that's, that fear and uncertainty holds back so much greatness. And, uh, you know, uh, I can't remember who's, who said this quote, but it's uh, uh, the thing that you desire most is, uh, you know, inside the cave that you fear is it, it resides the thing that you desire most. So, you know, it's being able to, despite the fear, to just move forward, uh, even a step at a time, and, you know, just just keep moving on. So I really appreciate your honesty, and, um, you know, I, I have found you to be a, an inspirational player, and, uh, you know, our, our time to, together today has, uh, you know, made me admire you that much more as a human. So I really appreciate you taking time to be with me today. That's very kind. Thank you. Appreciate you asking me to be part of this. Oh, man. This is my pleasure. It's my pleasure. So uh, that's going to wrap it up for this episode. And uh, remember, check those show notes for the links uh, to find out what's going on in the world of Dan and, uh, you know, to, to get a, a copy of, of his CD download, however you digest your music. iTunes. Uh, uh, iTunes, uh, uh, eight tracks, uh, gramophones. I think you, you have the gramophone version of that available. Victrola. Um, and, uh, you know, just, just go back and listen to this. Make sure you share this with fr some friends because, especially if you've got uh, friends who are interested in playing trumpet in the pop setting you know listen to the things that, that dan has to say because it's, it's some really really golden nuggets there man real good so thanks again dan and thank you for taking time out of your day to listen to this podcast so as always peace and slide grease we are out hey thank you so much for hanging with us today this podcast is all about creating connection through our mutual love for the trumpet life. I hope that you learned a few things about today's guest and had some laughs along the way. Don't forget to give us a review. We love those five-star ratings. And please share this podcast with your friends. We want to see our hang grow for show. Have a suggestion for a future topic or a guest? Hit me up at thetrumpetgurus at gmail.com. Our opening theme was written and performed by Lexi Signor and all other music comes courtesy of the greatest funeral ever. So in the words of W.C. Handy, life is like a trumpet. If you don't put anything into it, you don't get anything out. So go out there and let your trumpet sound, and I'll see you at the next hang. <laughs>